Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. She didn't get that by mistake. God opened up her heart to receive that. That is what is called saving grace. 
It's by God's grace that we understand. We looked at this last week. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to get to Ephesians chapter 2 in a little bit. So we'll start in Luke 8, move to Ephesians chapter 2. And in there it says this. It's by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. I want you to think about it this way. When a person becomes a Christian, it is not so much that they've been on a search for God. The reality is that God's been chasing them down. God's been on a search for them, trying to woo them over and win them. But before we delve more into grace, I want to talk about a story. It's a story of a family who experienced God's grace firsthand. And it's found in Luke chapter 8, so I hope you're there. There's a guy I'm going to tell you the story about. His name is Jairus. He's a respected leader in the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish place that people would gather. They would open the scroll and read from that. And Jairus was probably one of those guys in the synagogue because he was a leader there who would stand in front of others, or actually they would, when they opened the scroll, they would normally sit down and read. But he was one of the notable leaders. He's well known in the town. When they gathered, he was someone who they looked up to. When matters arose in the community, they went to him for wisdom or advice. But there was a a moment where this respected, noble leader was brought to his knees. This actually happens to a lot of men. Men who are in control. Men who are tough. Men who appear to have a strength about them. And then... God gives them a daughter. It's a humbling experience. Their hearts are softened a bit as they see these sweet little baby girls, right? And then they realize their protector, provider. And something softens in them to love something in a way that they never have before. And Jairus, his world began to unravel at his daughter's illness. She was 12. They don't describe how it all came down, but maybe it was just a cough that lingered and it started there. Maybe it moved to a fever and then something debilitating where eventually she just couldn't get out of bed. Doctor after doctor, Jairus is desperate saying, somebody help my daughter and no one can. This is how Luke describes this story. Luke chapter 8 verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house. Notice this next part. Because his only daughter, he's got one, his baby girl, his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Not just sick. She's dying. Now remember, this is a story of God's grace to this family. Being a synagogue leader, he knows who Jesus is. And Jesus is actually a controversial leader at the time. On one hand, he's performed these miracles that he knows about. He wouldn't have shown up to Jesus and fallen at his feet if he didn't know about the miracles that Jesus had performed. But at the same time, Jesus is criticizing a lot of these Jewish leaders, calling them, they're not people of God, they're evil. They're leading people astray. And Jairus, in the midst of being the synagogue leader, respected by everyone, doesn't care Because he's brought to his knees because his 12-year-old girl is dying. Jairus, in this moment, 
is about to experience God's grace, but I don't want you to miss this because like Jairus, I think we have similar situations. In your notes, it says this, their brokenness and desperation led to Jesus's grace. I don't know what you walked in here with today, what kind of brokenness or what kind of concerns, what kind of desperation or what kind of worries. Maybe it's for your 12-year-old girl. Maybe it's for your 32-year-old girl. I, I don't know. Maybe it's for a medical situation, a financial situation. I don't know what kind of brokenness you bring in the room, but can I just say this? Maybe what you're going to get from today is this, that your brokenness and desperation is actually an opportunity for God's grace to show up in your life. We don't ask for pain. But Jesus said this, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough trouble of its own. (laughs) You can take that as a promise from Jesus. (laughs) Life is not easy. But what if our brokenness and desperation is actually an opportunity for Jesus to show up and show off in our lives? For Jairus, it actually looked like it was too late for him. You see, when he falls at his knees in front of Jesus, he's like, you've got to help my daughter. She's dying. Jesus is like, take me to your house. They, they're on their way. And this woman stops Jesus because she needs her, her body healed. And so Jesus stops and helps her. And Jairus is like, hey, looks like you're not dying yet. We'll come back. It's totally between the lines of the story. I apologize for that. Let me just read the text. Ready? While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Can you imagine what just fell out of his heart? Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jairus' hopes are dashed. It's too late. His daughter's gone. Not even Jesus could help. But then Jesus, hearing this, he says this, verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. Maybe you need to hear this today. It's in your notes there, but no situation is hopeless when it comes to Jesus' grace. There's no situation that's hopeless when it comes to Jesus' grace, his generosity, his healing, his strength, his provision. Now, I'm going to get to this part in just a little bit, but I just want to make note of this. It doesn't mean that Jesus always does what we want him to do. I'm not telling you that if you have someone who's on the brink of death and you just come to Jesus today, that Jesus is going to be like, nope, we're going to rescue that person and give them perfect health. He might not. But there might be other opportunities of grace in your life through it. I'll I'll get to more of that in just a minute. I will say this. um, I'm not going to go into many of the details on this, but in my own family's life, um, We've been looking for opportunities of God's grace. We've been wrestling with some medical issues with Kelly's dad. And it's been challenging. Lots of questions. There's few answers. There are moments in the last couple of weeks where we needed to be reminded that no situation is hopeless. And we've been leaning into this. And so when I tell you about this today, I'm not speaking from a book that I've read and tried to understand and explain to you. I'm speaking from my life today. Look what Jesus does in Jairus' family, verse 51. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. 
knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned and at once she stood up. That was Jesus's grace for a grieving dad. Talk about God's goodness on display to his family. It's in your notes. Jesus' grace brought her from death to life. She wasn't asleep. It says her spirit returned to her. She was dead. Jesus did not heal her. He resurrected her. He didn't revive her. He brought her back to life. She was dead, and he gave her her life back. That's the story. That's the miracle. And this is how the story ends. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat. That's weird. (laughs) Well, you just gave her back her life. I mean, why are you telling her to take in some nourishment? Two thoughts on this. And we're not sure what the right answer is, but two thoughts. One, remember when Jesus came back to life and he was on the shore and his disciples saw him and he sat there and ate food? What he was doing was he was proving to himself that he's not a spirit. He's not a ghost. Like when he ate the food, they didn't like see the food like travel through him because he was invisible. He's like, no, no, I, I have this body. He's proving that he's actually alive, not just a spirit. And so I'm wondering in this text when he says, give her something to eat, if it's actually this moment where he's saying, look, look, she's not a ghost. She's actually your daughter back to life. Let her eat. But I'm also wondering if this is actually part of an illustration where Jesus brings people back to life spiritually. And then he's like, by the way, you're still going to need nourishment. So nourish that soul within you that I give you. That'll make more sense in just a moment. Look at how this story ends with her parents. Verse 56, her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Um, In your notes, once brought back to life, she needed this nourishment. But look what happened with her parents. Jesus would often tell people, don't tell anyone about this miracle. Why? Well, until after his resurrection, because he didn't want to be known as a healer or miracle worker. He wanted to be known as the son of God who died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He wanted to be the savior, not a healer, right? So he would often say, don't tell anybody about this. But I want you to know this in your notes there. Jesus is graced. Grace produced amazement and gratitude. Question, why is this story in the Bible? I mean, why did, why did Luke write about this? Why does Jesus intervene in this situation? Two reasons. I think he's given evidence that he's not just a teacher or a prophet. I think he's giving us evidence that he's actually the son of God. Second reason? It's because he wants us to know that he has the power to give life to dead people. Jesus has the power to give life to dead people. And here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus still does this today. And you're like, Pastor, you're getting weird. You mean like a dead body? Jesus can like bring it back to life. Like, yeah, if he wants. I mean, there's been stories throughout history when he's done this, even after his death and resurrection. But I, I will say this. There's something that actually happens that's much more common. And it happened in this room with three people last week. 
Because last week I said, are there any of you that want to give your life to Christ? Do you want this forgiveness of sins and start a relationship with him? And I said, bow your heads, close your eyes. Three people raised their hand. They said, I, I need that. You know what that was? That it was people whose souls were dead and God woke them up to the need that they had and the truth that Jesus could save their soul. See, Jesus resurrects people's lives today. I think this story, as I want you to see it today, is not just about a dead body coming back to life. It's about dead souls being awakened by the grace of God. We looked at this last week, Ephesians chapter 2. Go there real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. This is what we described. And last week we, we looked at this for the faith aspect, that we're saved by faith alone. That's the trigger that saves us. But even before faith is there, there's this goodness and grace of God winning us to himself. Listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It doesn't say you were asleep or you were lost. You were dead. Your soul was pulseless. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you live, you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit whose work is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I know you've, um, you've heard some people when they describe their, their testimony and they say, listen, I've always known Jesus. I grew up Christian. I've always been a Christian. No, no. You might have always gone to church. You might have been born in a pew in an old church. I mean, I don't know. Maybe whatever. But you weren't always a Christian. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. We are all born spiritually dead. Enemies of God. That's what original sin is, is that you and I all inherit that, a separation from God. Saving grace is this. It's a regeneration of the soul. Write that down. It's in your notes. Saving grace is actually a regeneration of a soul. It's when your heart and soul were dead to God, and God's like, boom, come alive. Little girl, stand up. Little boy, stand up. Come back to life. And something inside you, your soul, is awakened towards God. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Let me make a couple obvious statements from this. Ready? Number one, dead people cannot give themselves life. Isn't that an amazing statement? I know you're shocked by that. Like, wow, the wisdom from the pulpit right now. Dead people cannot resuscitate themselves. Neither can spiritually dead people. Look at how God does this. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace that you've been saved. If you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've accepted forgiveness and relationship with him and you walk with him daily and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in it till the end. He has a place for you in heaven. You've been adopted into his family. Congratulations, you didn't do it. He did it. His son won it for you on the cross. He paid your debt. And the fact that you actually understood it 
or the fact that you were in a church to hear a message about it, or you, you were raised by parents who were people of faith, that very thing for you is his gift for you. And even though you heard it, because some Christian parents have raised kids who have been spiritually dead all their lives, and they've said no to this. The fact that you believed it and received it, boom, he brought you to life. The whole faith part where you exercise faith, that's still even a gift from God. Spiritually dead people are brought to life by God's grace. Now, we sometimes foolishly think that we deserved it or we did anything for it. But it really is all of God. Now, here's what's interesting. This is where some Christians stop. They're like, okay, I was saved by grace. Well, that's fantastic. That's really good. Um, now I go do my life, and I, I just try and, try and be good, right? But the problem is when we don't do good things, then we go to church, and we find out, oh, I've been really bad, and then I feel guilty and ashamed, as if, like, now I'm afraid that God's maybe given up on me, or maybe he unadopted me. Hey, I know I adopted you, and I was like, okay, yeah, I really want this guy, but I'm going to unadopt you because you messed up this week. There's people who believe this. Number three is this. God's grace is actually his ongoing provision for us. I'm going to read to you a couple scriptures. Maybe read these this week. For, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Wait, wait, wait. You're not under the law. You're not under the performance treadmill. You're actually under grace. You got saved by grace and you live under grace. Grace is God's goodness and favor towards you. And that saving grace was, hey, I saved you, and now I'm going to keep you. Listen to what else this says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You have a problem? You got a need? You don't have to negotiate with God. You just approach his throne of grace and ask him for help. And he's available. And he's the one who can raise the dead. Do you have a bigger problem in your life than raising the dead? Then approach him because of his grace for you. Now, I told you I would get to the part of what happens if God doesn't answer your prayer. Paul, he went to, to God and said, God, I have this problem. Everyone thinks it was the, the problem with his eyes and his eyesight. And three times he says, I asked God to heal me. God, fix this. God, make this better. And then he writes this amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my grace, this was God's answer to him. God said to Paul, my grace, my goodness, my favor is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more. Paul says, I then will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This statement is about the fact that God told Paul, no, I'm not going to heal you. But my grace, my favor, and my goodness will provide you enough. I'm not going to remove the hardship, but I'm going to be with you all throughout the hardship. Listen. I don't know how you need God's grace and goodness and provision in your life this week. Maybe you're not a Christian, and today's the day you need to cross that, that line of faith. Maybe he's alive. He just awakened your soul. 
I don't know. For others of you, I know that there's believers all over this room. I know you. I know a lot of your stories. But I know that you carry something in here that is heavy, that is discouraging, that is broken, that you're desperate about. You live in God's grace. Maybe today you need to approach his throne of grace and say, God, would you help me with this? And live in such a way that you're going to trust that his goodness and his grace are enough. Every week I've just asked this question, um, what are the implications of sola scriptura, that scripture alone is our authority? Well, what's the implication of faith alone? And this week, what are the implications of sola gratia? What are the implications of grace alone? I'm going to run through these really, really fast, and and, um, maybe you'll dwell on these a little bit more this week, but here's the first implication. Grace alone means that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. I've already spoken to that. I'm going to let that stand on its own. Number two, grace alone removes our spiritual swagger. (laughs) I don't know if you got spiritual swagger, but it's tempting to think like, You understand something and you have a treasure that the majority of people in this Silicon Valley do not have. There's people who think they got treasure in the Silicon Valley, that they've struck it rich, right? Oh, the treasure that you have in Christ is so much more than they have. Theirs is temporary. They ain't taking it with them. Yours is forever. You kicked shame to the curb. You kicked guilt to the curb. You kicked a dead life to the curb because God woke you up. You have a relationship with someone who loves you. And he's transforming you. It's tempting to be like, man, I got Jesus. And those people, they don't. I'm sorry, maybe you've never said that or ever done that either. Philip Melanchthon who was one of the great reformers in the 16th century, this is what he wrote. He said, I contribute nothing to my salvation except the sin from which I need to be saved. There's a humility to Christians. There shouldn't be an arrogance to it. There's no spiritual swagger because we didn't do anything to deserve it. God did it for us. Three, grace alone means no one is too spiritually dead for Jesus. There's a guy named Dave. Well, I'll call him Dave because that's his name. I had a conversation around a pool um, with him a while back, and he's a lawyer, and it was so interesting. For about an hour, he um, was really trying to prove to me how the Scriptures just can't be trusted, how Christianity is just really not true. And yet in the midst of his story, he's weeping because of his own brokenness. And I just thought, it's so interesting— I actually didn't even have to argue with him. He didn't give his life to Christ that day. But you know what I was watching? I was watching a man who God is trying to wake up. Isn't it tempting to try and argue with the non-Christians in your life? Like, I'm going to prove them wrong. They need to hear about the word of God. But the conviction that it's true and Jesus is real and offering them new life, your job is not conviction. That's God awakening their soul. And so I can't wait for the day where Dave gives his life to Christ. He's going to be an unbelievable believer, an unbelievable influencer. But he's not there yet. 
But I'm just watching God try to wake him up and win him to himself. And so my point behind that is this. Grace alone means that no one is too spiritually dead for Jesus. Because I know there's probably some people who look at David and be like, he ain't ever crossing the line of faith. <laughs> Nobody is too dead for Jesus. For grace alone moves us to compassion as we witness the failure of others. I hope that when non-Christians or Christians fail in life, I hope that doesn't bring us joy. I hope that doesn't, even if they're your enemies, even if they've harmed you, that that doesn't bring us joy, but the goodness of God, how you've experienced it, has actually created a compassion inside you so that when other people fail, what you see is an opportunity for them to experience the goodness of God and His grace. Number five, grace alone prevents us from despairing over our signature sin. You got a signature sin? You do. It's the thing you struggle with. I mean, you've let go of it a hundred times, maybe a thousand times, maybe 500,000 times. You're like, no, I need to stop doing this. I'm not going to do that. And the, the more you like released it, like it grabbed onto you. You're like, I, I can't get rid of this thing. I keep doing the very thing I don't want to do, knowing it doesn't bring honor to God. Can I just say this? Don't be in despair over it. Don't stop putting effort to put that sin to death. But I just want you to know that grace, God's goodness, how he saved you and his presence with you prevents us from despairing over signature sins. And what I mean by that is there's going to come a time and a day where you will become sin-free. It's in heaven. But please don't use that as an excuse to give up trying to live a life that honors God. Six, grace alone fuels our obedience. I mean, like a dad who received back his daughter. Can you imagine when Jairus, his daughter gets up? What does a, a father do when he turns to Jesus? He just gave me my, my little girl back. I mean, does he just hug him and weep? I can't imagine he's emotionless. I just imagine that Jairus in that moment, he's like, Jesus, I'd, I'll do anything out of gratitude for you. How come, how come we live our lives and we get saved and we're so filled with gratitude in a moment and that somehow later on down the road, we stop being grateful and we just feel like we're on this spiritual treadmill? Grace alone should fuel our obedience, not fear. Last thing, and we, we need to wrap this up. Grace alone deepens our joy. I think sometimes we start out the Christian life, we feel like the, the younger son in the prodigal son story. You remember that one? He runs away, wild living comes back, dad throws a party for him. Woo, you're saved. Yeah, that's great. And somehow in the journey, we become the older brother. Who's like, dad, I've been slaving away from you all my life. And somehow our joy just disappears. Our high schoolers, they just got back from uh, houseboat camp yesterday. It was fun. Courtney and DJ, they got to go as uh, staff, and I got to hear some stories about that. And it just reminded me, more than 20 years ago, I was in their shoes. <laughs> I was the staff guy who took high schoolers to Lake Shasta. Same place. Probably the same houseboat, actually. <laughs> and I just watched God do a transformation 
And one of these years, to be honest, I had all these church kids who weren't living out of joy, weren't living out of obedience. They weren't grateful for the grace of God. They were really rebellious kids. They were a pain. They were a pain to me. They were a pain to their parents. Can I just tell you, I can still remember, it was like, like it was yesterday, we drove up to the parking lot. My wife's nodding her head. She remembers this. We drove up to the parking lot, and these kids, with smiles on their faces, walked up to their parents and hugged them. And the parents are shocked. They're like, this ain't my kid. It's your kid whose soul has been awakened by God and given new life. God still does that today. There's joy in it. And we forget about the joy because there's all these other problems in our lives, and I get the problems, but listen, God's grace is enough for that too. We want to celebrate. We want to live with this kind of joy. And so here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to end. I'm going to have the band come out right now because I want us to have a worship moment before we leave. I want you... If you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to have a moment to just express your joy for what it is that God has done for you. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. I've been listening to it all week long. And um, let me read to you some of the lyrics. See on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life. Grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice, what he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. God's woken some of you up. Maybe it was 40 years ago. I hope today, some joy of the fact that you didn't do it yourself. He not only woke you up back then, but he's with you today so that his grace was back then and his grace and his goodness want to show up to your life this week. So ask this question. How is God's grace going to show up in your life? I want you to be an agent of grace. Someone who looks for God's grace in your life and you can also point to God's grace in other people's lives. But look at me real quick. Some of you have never crossed that line of faith. And so as we stand to sing this, I'm going to just invite you. You put it into your own words. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I trust you died for me. All right. Our whole system might be down. Check it again. All right. Good luck in leaving that song. All right. Um, I'm just assuming because that just got interrupted that this next part's going to be good. So you online, you better read my lips. That line of faith today. To say yes to Jesus. Because if you have any kind of craving at all for him, just know that that is him knocking on the door of your heart, awakening your soul. 
So you put it in your own words. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, thank you for your grace. And for those of you that you've already crossed that line of faith, we're going to stand together. Stand with me right now. And I want you to sing this song. I don't know what's going to happen if we have the capacity to sing this song or not. We'll find out. As the words come up, watch the mouth of the leaders and sing with us. And let this joy of Christ rise in you. Thank you.